to the Total Soccer Show's Euro 2020 coverage, where today we pay tribute to England's brave heroes. Ukraine were left in Roman ruins as the goals came from Kane. Luke Shaw caused a strain. Mason Mount used his brain. Raheem Sterling once again brought the pain. John Stones was reliable again. Jaden Sancho made his claim. Declan Rice didn't play in vain. Carl Walker didn't abstain. Harry Maguire used that massive slab in front of his brain. Kieran Trippier-Shikane, Jordan Henderson sustained. Calvin Phillips dominated the terrain. Dominic Calvert-Lewin was in the fast lane. Jude Bellingham was ordained. And Jordan Pickford gave us no specific reason to complain. Whew. Meanwhile in Baku, the Czechs checked out as their shik stick ran its course and the mighty Denmark brought home the bacon. Could it be Euro 92 all over again? They'll have to get past the greatest team in the world first. Joining me today is a man who texted me earlier today to say sorry about the loss today, Ryan. It's Taylor Rockwell. Taylor, how are you, sir? <laughs> Uh, I'm doing well. I'm prepared for what's to come. I wasn't fully prepared for that introduction, however. That was majestic, even if I believe you rhymed again with again. Did I? Oh, man. <laughs> no, I didn't. I didn't. I said, okay. William Sterling once again brought the pain. And it, the oh, pain, my pain mistake. Was the rhyme. My mistake. <laughs> I apologize. Come on. I just rhymed every single England player involved in that game, and that was what you, uh, that, that was what you came back with. I got to try to keep you level, Ryan. I got to try to keep you level. You're going to fly too close to the, to the soccer god hubris sun, and then on wings of, I don't know, wax Southgate. I don't know what that would be. I've run out of metaphors because yours was too good. So, um, sorry about the loss today, Ryan. Did ah. you think you were texting like Vladimir Klitschko or something? What was, what was that about? <laughs> yes, uh, that is Vladimir Klitschko's first name. Little known fact, Ryan Vladimir Klitschko. <laughs> uh, no, I think, I think I was just mostly trying to antagonize. I, I, I will be honest and say there was a part of me that thought Ukraine posed some problems in their last game and there was a chance that England, if they weren't, like tactically prepared for this one. Maybe if they were looking past Ukraine to Denmark, they might overlook some things and cause themselves some problems. And that was very much not the case uh, from pretty much the opening minutes. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Also here is a man who's never felt more <laughs> Danish in his life, Graham Ruthven. Hello, I picked the wrong podcast to miss to skip. This, <laughs> yeah. this, is, this is the one that I should have taken off. Damn it. Uh, (laughs) I'm sorry, Graham. I am insufferable in moments like these. And I know that England shouldn't get carried away because we've only made it to the semi-final, whereas, of course, Scotland made it to their final and they won it 0-0. Wow. Uh, It's just so good to see a team in a country everyone loves, the neutrals' favourites, doing so well. (laughs) And they deserve it because they've been so humble over the years. No sign of arrogance at all when they were rubbish. It's just so good to see them coming to fruition now. Yeah, you're right. We're great. We're absolutely great. You're right. Um, no Joe, Joe Lowry today, by the way. He's uh, he's actually on a boat with Christian Pulisic uh, doing keep-ups on top of a giant fish. I don't know if you saw that video. That was, that was Joe with him. I'm sorry. What? Have you not seen the video, Taylor? I have not seen this video. Oh, you need to go on the interwebs because there's a, a video of Christian Pulisic doing keep-ups on top of a giant fish which he falls on and almost rides. It's tremendous. Is it an inflatable fish? Is it a boat that looks like a fish? Does he actually have ma- like majestic powers and he is controlling like a whale shark or something? What's going on here? It is uh, a 10 second clip. It's the most Florida clip you've ever seen. Basically. Ah, there we are. It, more <laughs> Florida, Florida than Tom Brady throwing the Super Bowl trophy <laughs> across the water? Very much so. Very okay. much in that vein, but I recommend <laughs> okay. you seek it out. Because Joe's on his boat today, having a nice time. I, I like to think that Joe is, is actually has a secretive second job as a jazz musician like uh, Duke Silver like that's oh, that's yes. what I'm imagining 
he's, uh, he's blowing the sacks in a club somewhere in Pawnee right now. That's yeah. right. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, I have to say, um, we're going to talk about England, Ukraine first. Uh, did, did you know England won today, by the way, James? Just sort of um, ran that one home. Um, and it's yes, England won and we all lost. That's That much is clear. Did we? I didn't. Um, <laughs> the, the the game victory was once again down to me. As I've mentioned several times on this show, uh, mm. every game that England have won so far, I've gone for a run in the morning and I've listened to Three Lions on repeat, the song Three Lions. Uh, the only game I didn't do that was the aberration against Scotland. Um, so basically, I have to keep doing this for the sake of my country. Now, the semi-final, which will be uh, coming up uh, on Wednesday, I'm actually taking a transatlantic flight on Tuesday. I'm going back to the UK to visit my family for the first time in two years. So I've got to now somehow get off a transatlantic flight and then find the energy to go for a run and get myself pumped up straight off of that. Otherwise, England lose the game. That's how it works, right? Yeah. Yeah. I I think as we've learned, all fan superstitions are the important thing. Tactics, player training, all go by the wayside when it comes to uh, tradition and and uh, what's the word I'm looking for here when you wear like the same pair of socks every single superstition? There it is, right? Superstition, superstition is important. So you'll be listening yeah. to footballs coming home before going home yourself. How apt, Graham? How apt? Yes, indeed. Ryan, yes, Matthew, indeed. I have a question. So this became your tradition, sort of organically. I'm assuming in this tournament, right? It did, yes. So was there a moment on what on that first run when you're like, no, 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 no. One time wasn't enough. Let me hear it again. And then when you finished that second time, did you think one more time should get the job done? Was it like, did you want to end the run on the song or was it just that you were in the mood to hear it three times? It's because this this sounds embarrassing, but um, it was the morning of the Croatia game. I was very, very excited about the tournament starting and that drop at the start of three lines when the drums come in and it's coming home continues. I love that so much. It pumps me up so much. that I was like, I've listened to this song once. I need to get hear that Mm -hmm. start again. That's basically what it's all about. I like it. I think that's a, that's a fair reason, and it became tradition. And now if England win, it's all you, Ryan Bailey. And if they don't, also your fault. My annual tradition has now become a yearly custom, to quote um, the uh, fisherman from The Simpsons. Uh, why don't we talk about England against Ukraine? Uh, this one taking place in Rome. Uh, I was going to run with a Harry's and the Henderson headline in the intro, but it seems like half the internet already stole that one off of me. Um we did wonder how England would do away from the confines of Wembley Stadium. Turns out, Graham, four goals, clean sheet, seeing out the last half hour with our feet up in second gear. How's that feel? <laughs> well, for me, it didn't feel great. But, um, you know, I, I think this was a it was a pretty complete performance from England, I have to say. Um, I, I will mention Ukraine. This this was one match too far for them in the second yep. half. I thought they tired quite a lot. They just didn't have a lot to offer, and and I think that was definitely a factor. However, that's been that's me being a little bit of a killjoy because I I did think England were impressive throughout. They obviously started very strongly. Goal after what four minutes, um, which pretty much confirmed to me that they that England were going through. And it was mm-hmm. it was good of England to to spare us Scots any kind of hope because what normally happens is. Uh, that you know England will will get quite late in the game and then find a way to get through and and all us all us Scots uh, our our hopes are dashed so it was good of England to spare us that and we knew pretty early on that they were going through but um, I thought Southgate pretty much every decision Southgate made for this match paid off Jaden Sancho coming in which was a bit of a shock I have to admit I I, I surely wasn't the only yeah. one who saw on Twitter all the jokes of oh Jaden Sancho is now a Manchester United player he's going to start for England at the, at the Euros their next game and I don't think anyone made that joke sincerely 
But that's exactly what happened uh, <laughs> as Jaden Sancho comes in as a Manchester City player. I know that deal's not completely done yet, but uh, an agreement has been reached. Um, the switch back to a back four with with um, Shaw kind of pushed higher up the pitch on the left side. I thought this was one of the best games I've, I've seen him play for, for either United or England. Yep. Mason Mount coming into the side, um, Sterling and Sancho switching about, um, Sancho driving through the centre at times, Sterling going into the centre with Kane going out left, and, and Kane, of course, showing the cutting edge that, the, that England fans have wanted to see, for, see from him throughout the whole tournament, and all of a sudden he looks like a different player. There's just a bit of... I think I said to Joe that it wasn't so much what what he was doing positionally or, or tactically that was an issue for me. It was just the, the sharpness the conviction was missing in his play and, and I thought it was there again tonight so yes this was a bit of a statement performance by England and yes they are I mean it goes without saying they're into the final four but yes they are definitely one of the, the front runners now I totally picture Graham like doing a shot and then saying everything he just said and now <laughs> taking another shot having completed his praise of England and Gareth Southgate Taylor, you, you I, know so we yeah. said one of the front runners in a tournament where there's four teams left it's not, it's not great praise <laughs> I mean that, that was that was pretty high praise for, uh, for saying Gareth Southgate got pretty much everything right if not everything right and I and I think he did I do uh, believe that he was waiting for the official Ole Gunnar Solskjaer seal of approval and that was the thing that was holding him back he wasn't quite sure and now he can feel confident having played Jaden Sancho but I agree with Graham I think he got everything right I think he made a lot of really smart tactical decisions and a few little adjustments that completely flummoxed Ukraine and I do think Graham's initial point that Ukraine maybe a little bit too tired for this one, maybe feeling it, uh, obviously picking up injuries and losing some players did not help either. Yeah, having to play that extra time obviously didn't help them. They did, it, just, it did have a men against boys feel about it, which is odd because Ukraine, you know, have, have done very well to get to this stage and did very well against Sweden as well. So it's, I was kind of surprised by this, you know, what they played Sweden, they played, they put up a fairly decent show against the Netherlands and they had those other games. It was North Macedonia and Austria, wasn't it? So... Graham, are we are we saying that England was the toughest test they faced, or was it more that it was just they're a bit knackered by this point, or maybe both? Uh, yeah, both. I mean, England are the best team that Ukraine have faced, um, but I, I just feel that it, it, they. I struggle to to work out tactically what um, Ukraine were were doing wrong, and actually, I think actually after the the injury that they suffer in uh, after thirty six minutes, they then switch to uh, more of a four three three, and that seemed to that seemed to suit them a little bit better. And that was the worst phase of the of the match for England was that that latter phase of the of the first half, and Ukraine seemed to identify Kyle Walker as as a bit of a a weak link and, and they, they really tried to overload him and that was working to, to a certain extent I think there was a, a save from Pickford from Yaramchuk I think it was which was the only real time that, that England were bothered um, and and I thought what Southgate did to at that point I know Sterling and Sancho were switching quite a lot but at that point Sterling was predominantly on the left and Sancho was predominantly on the right Southgate seemed to switch them which was a, a, maybe a bit of a recognition that, that Sterling helps out slightly more defensively and, and, and so that was recognition of the trouble that Ukraine were, were causing England at that mm. stage of the match and at half time I wasn't entirely sure what we were going to see from England because it seemed like after the goal or certainly after the, the opening 20 minutes that they allowed their intensity to drop the tempo to drop a little bit and they seemed to be falling back into that to that lull um, whether by design or not that we've seen earlier from, in, earlier in the tournament from England where they where they just seem to kind of suffocate, suffocate games a little bit but you want a little bit more from them so I was 
um, you know, encouraged in terms of England's chances to see them in, at the start of the second half really press home their advantage that they had on an individual basis. Um, mm. But I think from Ukraine's point of view, they just they just didn't have the individual quality really to to trouble a, a team of of England's cal- caliber. I would yeah, go. That, oh, sorry. Oh, go ahead, Ryan. Taylor, go. I was I was just going to lead to you, Taylor. Just to ask mm-hmm. a bit more about Ukraine. Yeah, and to say that. Uh, from my observation, I totally agree with Graham and that, that it was man pound for pound they couldn't quite match this England team. But also they seemed a bit less organised than they were yeah. against Sweden. That might be due to, to fatigue in many ways. But it seemed like they couldn't really cope with the the wide threat, the crosses. They they seemed to struggle to defend from that area of the field. And in both halves, did they try and do like a much higher line? And then they were like, oh, that, we got caught out by that. And they sort of struggled to recover each time after that as well and they yeah. seem to be quite shaken particularly by those two uh, rapid fire goals in the second half as well yeah i think in the same way that gareth southgate got pretty much everything right i think shevchenko and ukraine got pretty much everything wrong and i actually disagree with graham a little bit in that i didn't feel like ukraine had much that they could do to answer what england were bringing in the first half and my only thought was maybe if they come out and they're really fired up for this one they make a couple little adjustments and they just come out ready to go maybe england are a little bit complacent that's how they get back into this and then england scored their second one in like the 46th minute and that really felt like well that's the game over because i don't see how ukraine can then come back from that one either but i i thought Looking at what they did against Sweden, I thought the way they sort of crowded to one side and used their central midfielders to to basically make sure there were never any overloads out wide, but then had one of the forwards dropping in to provide that central cover. I thought that worked really well. I thought having Zinchenko wide was a smart way to get him involved and maybe pose that threat, that counterattacking threat that teams would have to take into account. So when he's moved central and Ukraine sort of go back to what they were doing doing at the beginning of the tournament – I was already a little bit suspicious about how well that was going to go. And then I think England's tactics really did sort of uh, like hit on all of the vulnerabilities of Ukraine because I saw Sancho and Sterling moving central on occasion when the fullbacks would push very high. But I also saw the central midfielders stepping further up the field as well. So they basically always had numbers through the middle, but out wide. And when uh, Sterling or Sancho would stay wide, then the fullbacks would go inside. And so there was just always numbers. There were always overloads. And defensively, England did what Ukraine did in the last game. And they had uh, Rice and Phillips slide over to one side to make sure there were no mismatches. And you would have Mason Mount or another uh, attacker drop in to be that central midfielder. And it feels like they took a page out of Ukraine's book. And Ukraine took a page out of Slovakia's book, basically. (laughs) That's, yeah, a decent assessment there for sure, Taylor. And I'd like to talk about um, England's clean sheets thus far in this tournament, a very impressive, a record-breaking level of clean sheets, five games in a row here. But first, um, Graham, the Ukraine goalkeeper in this game, I didn't feel like he covered himself in glory. Um, Harry Kane's first goal, it seemed like he had an opportunity to, like, use his hands because goalkeepers can do that. That's the advantage they have over the other <laughs> 10 of, um, of their colleagues on the field. Didn't seem to want to do that. The second goal, the Harry Maguire uh, bullet header. It was a bullet header, but he didn't really try and dive for it. The third goal went through his legs. I felt like he didn't help proceedings particularly. I have to admit, it's not something that I had had, had really noted during the match. Um, I think the first goal is 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 
going to. I think that's quite harsh. I can remember his his attempt for a save there, and you're, you're right. He kind of goes with it. I think with his with his legs, from what yeah. I remember of it. But the ball However, flies past his hands, which are very much by his sides. Yeah, I I just think because it's so it's close proximity to Kane, it's it, you know it's it's a very quick. He'd have to make a very quick reaction save to stop that one. I remember the one going through his legs. Yes, that that's that's unfortunate, but. Um, yeah, I, 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 to be perfectly honest, I'll take your word on it that he could have done better because I can't really specifically. I was wallowing in uh, self pity every time these goals went in, so you have to forgive me. I was distracted by uh, by that. I think All right, the, Graham. I'm going to give you an opportunity f- to collect your thoughts. We're going to take a quick break. When we come back, more self pity for Graham because we're going to lay into England a little more. Total Soccer Show, we have returned. Taylor Rockrow, I want to hear some yes, more waxing lyrical about England and their soccer team who still haven't conceded in this tournament, who yeah. have players on this team who are used to big games now. We've got a deep bench. We've got, you know, Rashford and Grealish and Foden and Bellingham and Saka. These players would get into probably the majority of teams at this tournament. Not Maybe not some of them, but the majority, I think, is safe to say. This is an England team who look patient, they look competent, it doesn't look like they've got mistakes in them like they typically have done in the past. And as you say, the tactics were were perfect, they were bang on here from Gareth Southgate (laughs) with that that fluid three behind Harry Kane, Uh as you mentioned there. You know, it just seemed like a really, I I find it hard to say, it's really competent performance. And I think I said to Graham before we came on air, Taylor, that... The last half hour of this game is the first competitive England game I can remember where I felt my shoulders dropped and I relaxed a little bit because that that's not England. We don't play like that. And yet here we are. Did, did you want me to say nice things about England or did you just want to run through the list one more time? Just nod. Yeah, just nod. <laughs> <in the three. laughs> I, I mean, I was, to be fair. I suppose what I'll lead to is... No, no, um, I, I can I, I can pick up on that one because I think so many times in this tournament we've seen a team take an early lead or feel like they were sort of completely in control of the game and they make an adjustment or they take somebody off or they go a bit more conservative and the other team gets back into this. And and that is where, I guess, having said I, I, I didn't see Ukraine getting back into it, that is the thing we've seen a lot in this tournament. And so coming into the second half, I thought maybe there's a chance that can be the case if England are slow starters. And so that they end up seeing this game out as comprehensively as they did, I think is a a thing certainly worth noting. And I think the individual performers that allow that to happen also very much worth noting. Mm -hmm. Uh, That first goal, especially Harry Kane, obviously getting the brace on the day. and, And I think it's a really good finish there, but the the dribbling run from Raheem Sterling and then the vision to play that ball. I think a big reason why Bouchan isn't able to make a play on the ball as successfully as he would have hoped is because I think he thinks that ball is going to be overhit and it's going to carry a bit more and he'll be able to get to it. And it's a credit to Sterling that he splits four players but hits it perfectly into the path of Harry Kane. That's an amazing ball from Raheem Sterling. Yeah. And it was a great goal from Harry Kane. It was a great second goal from Harry Kane. And and I think he also draws the foul that leads to the free kick for Harry Maguire's goal. A good day for the Harrys. Uh, and, <laughs> and so it was, I think, the type of game, uh, Graham, I think I'm now echoing another of your points, that this was the type of game we were sort of waiting from from Harry Kane. Uh, my, my buddy who I am currently uh, visiting had put money on him to score a brace and to be the golden boot winner in this tournament. Uh, he did that, I think, earlier today and is now feeling very confident about things. Taylor, can I just ask you, you mentioned yep. the other Harry there, and as mm-hmm. a Manchester United fan, yep. um, we've spoken about Pogba at this tournament and how it feel, you know, how you feel watching him mm-hmm. play like this for his country. For me, Harry Maguire for England is almost a different player. He plays at a, he plays at a much higher level for England than he does for Manchester United. Do you see it that way? And if, and if you do, how does that make you feel and what, what's the difference? 
Yeah, I mean, I think he has a, a competent left back near him for the first. Oh, no, wait, same guy, same guy. Uh, yeah, I, I think I, I, I do think that this is a, a next level performance from Harry Maguire. My hope as a Manchester United fan would be that this is the sort of tournament he needed to elevate that ability. And from now on. He gets talked about in that sort of Virgil van Dyke way of he is this next level defender who can kind of put out problematic situations on his own. I think I am not alone in saying that the options ahead of him when it comes to Manchester United central midfield and maybe the partner alongside of him, John Stones for England, is not always the the like lockdown defender that maybe, say, Ruben Dias is, but I think he is an upgrade over Victor Lindelof. And I like Victor Lindelof a lot, but I think the parts around him probably allow him to perform a little bit better. And with this current England team having the kind of momentum and motivation that they do, I struggle to think of a time that Manchester United in the last season or two have had that same level of confidence and swagger that I think you do need to back yourself to take some of the risks he does, both defensively and in attack. And I think it's he is just a different player for England right now, though I hope that that continues on until the next season. So, Taylor, when you see Harry Maguire performing at this level like he does for England, when you see Luke Shaw having a sensational tournament and, you know, he's, he's, he's got pace, he's got the mm-hmm. cutbacks, he's got the, the absolute... I think Ole in, crosses. baby. I think Ole in. <laughs> and then you see, yeah, well, I suppose, and you see Paul Pogba as well. Are you just sighing when you see that? Because <laughs> it, it feels like Man United are less than the sum of their parts when you look at it in that context. Well, yeah, I mean, I think there's always the caveat that we've said on the show before that international soccer and international tournaments are not always the best tactical soccer. They don't require the most tactical nuance. I think the teams that can get their tactics most coherent, most quickly to then allow them to improvise a bit more are the ones who are in a stronger position. So there's that element to it that I think some of the bigger performers against smaller opposition tend to shine a bit more. But yeah, I do find it hard to see. Maguire is maybe a strange one because he's a defender, but like, yeah, Pogba looking like the leader for France, which maybe doesn't say much after this tournament, but just the kind of all-around midfielder that he is, I I think we don't see as much of that from Manchester United. But strangely, a lot of the talk about that French team has been how he... I think it was, I forget who it was, it was Pavard and I think Rabiot were both yelling at him for his positioning near the end of the game. And that does feel more like Paul Pogba for Manchester United. So I do wonder if maybe some of the flaws in these players that they get criticized for when they're with their club maybe get overlooked a bit more at international level because there's other narratives going on and there's other big performances. It was uh, Pavard and Rabiot's mom doing the yelling there. Yes, of course, of course, of course. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> uh, my mistake, Taylor, my mistake. As someone, as someone who's had relative, uh, you know, mm-hmm. not not really having skin in this game, this was a four nil. But mm-hmm. for you, was it boring? Was it a boring game? Because no. th- that that accusation has been thrown at this England team and the way they play. Did this one captivate you? Yes, absolutely. I mean, I think starting with Jaden Sancho, a player that I think of as being very good on the break and very good when he is able to take people on. Generally in open space, but I don't think of often as being the best when it comes to a compact defense or a team that is trying to deny space. I was really curious how effective he was going to be coming into this team, having not played uh, the tournament so far. And Gareth Southgate saying he has trained the best and looked the best, I think was was kind of on evidence today, because though he's not on the score sheet, his movements looked very coordinated. They looked very much like he had been part of this team. And I think that was really fun to watch for me as a Manchester United fan. And then as more of a neutral 
seeing a lot of what they were doing tactically and the little adjustments and the little movements. And even like Declan Rice would slide in and be a right-sided center back when one of the center backs would step out on that Mm. side. And then uh, Calvin Phillips would do the same thing on the left side. And those, like just the backups, those safety switches being uh, like switched on in a way that I don't always see with England, certainly in some of their games leading up to this tournament. I think there's just rotations and patterns that they're they're using that make them really fun to watch. And then, as you've already said, Ryan, the, the depth of talent they have means that, yeah, they're taking off one of their best players, but they're bringing on Jude Bellingham or they're bringing on Marcus Rashford. There's so much talent there that even if they are sort of seeing the game out in those final 30 minutes, they're still world-class players doing world-class things. And that fluidity and that rotation, Graham, it's that comes from not only just playing together regular minutes, but there's there, there's coaching in that, isn't there? Yeah, absolutely. And I, and I myself have been totally proven wrong. I mean, obviously the tournament isn't over yet, but I I, I wrote a, a piece I think before the tournament on my view that Southgate was actually England's weak link. Um, I don't think I would say that now. I think he the way he has managed games and not just managed games, but managed his squad as you referenced there. You know, I think the only there's only a handful of players who haven't been involved um, mm. in, in in the games, and I think um, obviously two of them are, are, are goalkeepers. Um, and he's just he's just he has recognised the 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 problems that each opponent will pose England he has adapted his team he clearly knows the qualities the strengths and weaknesses of each of his players and how they will they will bounce off each other you know some bold decisions like I don't think anyone thought Calvin Phillips was going to be one of the most undroppable players in in Mm. this team but quite clearly coming into the tournament Southgate had thought about that a lot um you know Saka coming in for a couple games and 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 really doing the business. Sancho coming in here, um, in this game Foden and Grealish not even getting off the bench after Grealish comes on against Germany and and really makes the difference. It it feels like England have got the perfect manager for this group of players, and I really didn't envisage saying that before but, uh, before the tournament kicked off. I actually thought Southgate might be the thing that that cost them, but I think it's f- safe to say I've, I've called that one wrong. Um, he's he's more than proved his worth. Graham, how much? How much do you think that is him like? being a good man manager not in the kind of generic way but more of a like he's been with this squad he knows these players he has familiarity with them and so like Harry Kane has only has one goal heading into this game and there was some like doubt like should he be starting should it be Marcus Rashford should they change up the look and he sticks with Harry Kane and he sticks with with I think like Jordan Pickford being the starting goalkeeper and there's other areas where I think you could he could have come in for criticism and could have been attacked but I feel like it speaks to him knowing the team and sort of knowing I'm going to stick with this guy. He's going to give me a return on that faith. I'm going to rotate these attackers because they're all sort of in form and any one of them can do something. I just feel like he seems to know the team pretty well and know how to get the best out of them. I mean, we're saying this after a 4-0 win. We'll see if we continue to say that as the tournament goes on. But right now, that's my read on it. I'm wondering if you would agree. Yeah, absolutely. I think he's I think he's a brilliant man manager. And one of the things with England in previous tournaments has always been this level of dialogue within the dressing room mm-hmm. in, in England. And it just feels like there is none of that. And, and maybe that's been a deliberate effort from Southgate. And maybe that's one of the reasons he has rotated his squad a lot is to avoid that. So, you know, in previous times, you would a key player or or a quality player would be left out of the England team at a major tournament and there would be mm-hmm. whispers of oh this player's not very happy or or you know it didn't always seem like a happy camp I think the, the prime example of that would be probably
probably the 2010 World Cup um, where things were, were a bit of a disaster for England under Fabio Capello and no one seemed to be happy. Southgate seems to have a happy camp where everyone, even the players, I mean, one of the first things he comes out um, on the BBC here, um, they've got the post-match interview with Southgate and he, he's asked for his thoughts and the first thing he says is, um, I'm thinking about the players who didn't feature today, the players who didn't get involved, um, they've got such an important role to play. Now, obviously, that's it's maybe not the juiciest quote, but it just it just reinforces this idea that Southgate's built that it's it's about the squad and it's about everyone contributing and even the players who aren't getting on the pitch. I mean, he name checks Connor, Connor Cody and Aaron Ramsdale who are uh, you know contributing in training and contributing to the atmosphere. And I just think that sums up what he's done with this England group. Yeah, and I think that that comment came not long after he was seen sort of having words with Jack Grealish uh, at the end of the game as well, uh, Graham. So that reinforces the fact that he's looking after everybody who doesn't necessarily uh, make an appearance. 4-0 to England mm-hmm. then, huh? I, I was of the opinion that it'll be very, very England to go and beat Germany and get over that psychological mount and then probably lose to Ukraine. Yep. But I, I don't know what to think now. I'm, I was uh, I was very much in that same mold, Ryan. Do you mind if I ask Graham one more question before we move on? I feel like you'll be okay with us talking about England some more. I'd be delighted for you to do so. <laughs> Graham, you, your like, dislike or your sort of, uh, I don't know, non-love of this England team is well documented and Ryan certainly isn't helping with that. Are, <laughs> Are are there any players or is there a player on this team that you, you do find yourself really enjoying that you do like well, would, you wouldn't mind if they got to uh, hoist some silverware at the end of this? Whole well, thing? hold hold on. I think there's there is something to clarify there in that that I I in terms of the individuals uh-huh. and even Southgate and you just I don't like, England. like I got you. I like this. <laughs> no, I was yeah. I hate every single one of them and don't want any any of them to succeed in life. No, All right, perfect. This no, this England team I like. Mm-hmm. There's very few individuals in it, and I like Southgate. And I didn't get the chance to say this after the Germany win, but I am actually I w- I'm pleased. And one of my thoughts after the England's win over Germany was I'm really pleased that Southgate's story, if you want to call it that, that his story doesn't end with what happens at Euro '96 and the the Germany win. Um, that's that's what it meant to him. It clearly meant a lot for him. He's a nice guy. Clearly a nice guy. It's more the having to listen to. I mean. To be perfectly honest, Rio Ferdinand on the BBC tonight was absolutely unbearable, <laughs> and that's the that's the sort of thing that grates with me. It's not it's not really anything to do with the team. I think I like a lot of the England team. I, I, there's not many I dis- I don't like. It's just the discourse and the Sun front pages and the Daily yeah. Star front pages and all the talking heads. I could do without that. Well, right, Graham, that's, that's fair. That's fair. On on that note. I think this has been hinted at by Gareth Southgate. Could it be that this England team is a happier England team and a happier camp because there's a different kind of media scrutiny. I think Gareth Southgate's spoken in the past about how, you know, and maybe Rhea Ferdinand's spoken about this too, about how the England team have always been at odds with the host media, with the local media, with the, with the British media. And do you feel like this team is getting different, more positive treatment and that might be contributing perhaps? Oh yeah, they're definitely getting different different treatment and that's been a deliberate effort by not just Southgate but by the England media team I mean every day there's a this is a a, a remnant of the 2018 World Cup but every day there's a there's a darts competition between Southgate and the media or an or an England player in the media and Mm. and it just builds into this idea that 
Southgate, and as I say, it's not just Southgate; it's the whole England setup have been have really tried to dismantle the idea that it's that's England, the England team versus the media, and I think that has had a tangible effect on just the the level. I mean, there's always scrutiny. You know, after the Scotland game was quite intense, uh, there was quite a lot of criticism after that. Even after the you know after the Croatia game, there was there, there was quite a lot of intense scrutiny. But it's it's I don't think it's anywhere near the level that it was. I mean, for me, the peak was always 2006, 2010. That was that was the absolute peak mm-hmm. of the newspapers and the media going over the top with with that England team and there's I don't think there's there's that level this time good to hear good to hear be nice media be nice that's the uh, moral here and uh England winning 4-0 here setting up a semi-final with Denmark on Wednesday just when I thought I could relax we have to think about Denmark which we'll be doing after these short messages Total Soccer Show, we have returned. There was another quarterfinal today, believe it or not. The Czech Republic took on Denmark. Denmark coming out 2-1 winners in Baku, where, of course, uh, it's the natural home of soccer, Baku. 83 <laughs> degrees at kickoff, 61% humidity. Uh, Graham, that's 28 degrees Celsius. Uh, I don't think you've ever experienced that temperature where you live. But uh, this this game was 2,000 miles from both Copenhagen and Prague. Uh, there were 31,000 tickets available for this game. Uh, only a few thousand actually in attendance the game wasn't technically in europe because azerbaijan isn't technically in europe there were no direct flights from either uh, participating nation uh you need a visa you need lots of quarantining and logistics but uh hey this game took place in very humid conditions in baku because uefa fun Anyway, um, Graham, this was a very open game. Um, Still better than Hamden. <laughs> I'd say better than Seville as well, right? If, if, if we're going to rank the stadiums of this tournament, it's, it's not it's not the worst. But uh, yeah, there, there's maybe a little taste of what's to come next year in Qatar with the uh, with the situation in this game. But Graham, your opening thoughts on this one, uh, which did seem, as I say, pretty open from the outset. My, yeah, my, my thoughts from the first half were this Denmark team are really good. And I think I put it in the group chat to you, Ryan. I, I fully expected England to beat Ukraine. So I, I said that I, if I were an England fan, I'd be a little bit worried about this Denmark team. And I, and I still I still support that that argument to a certain extent. But then the, the second half was, was kind of a different affair, particularly the first 15 minutes of that second half. I, I think Czech Republic, they... They go to a front two up an attack, and yep. they make a few change two changes at, at halftime with Yankto um, coming on, and that seemed to make a big difference. And 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 Schick gets that goal on, on the 49th minute. Um, until then, I'd thought that so obviously the supply line for for Schick, and we've seen this throughout the tournament is uh, Vladimir Kufal down the right side. And and what was happening in the first half was Mela, despite the fact he gets the assist for the Dolberg goal, he seemed to be staying back a lot more in the first half. And I thought that was to com- combat Kufal getting forward and getting crosses into the box. But then what seemed to happen was Kufal was driving inside a little bit more. There was an overlapping run past him. And so um, Mela kind of gets slightly confused over who to track and that creates the space for Kufal. But I think that just that just reflected that at the start of the second half, Czech Republic were doing a lot more to get bodies forward into dangerous positions. They were getting more support up to Schick. Um, and at that point, I thought there was they had a real game on their hands and it just seemed to fizzle out a little bit in the second half so I, I, I don't really have any grand conclusions I think Denmark are a good team I actually think Denmark might be the the best team England have have faced at this whole tournament I do expect that to be a really tricky test for, for England but I'm not sure what I can take from this match for them it was a little bit of a mixed bag 
Yeah, uh, Taylor, your thoughts on the Czech Republic here? I agree with what Graham was saying here. It did seem like they slowly improved. They did um, threaten from from set pieces. And they 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 you know they came out swinging in in, in both halves. I'd say, but overall, like. I'm kind of surprised this team's in the quarterfinals, I suppose. Yeah, I mean, I think that's definitely a, a fair feeling to have about this team. I, I don't think anybody, any of us had, even them being the team, aside from England, to make it out of the group and go this far. I think we all maybe thought Croatia might be able to do that. Um, but I also think this was another game where conceding a, a goal in the opening five minutes is probably not ideal. And for Thomas Delaney to be as wide open as he was, also not great. Because my <laughs> assumption for this was that the Czech Republic were going to do what they've been doing. They were going to have uh, Suchek and Holesh sitting on uh, whoever the two midfielders for Denmark were going to be. We assumed it would be Delaney and Hoiberg, uh, and it was. So I thought they would try to kind of like... Basically, limit anything that could happen centrally, force uh, Denmark out wide or force them to kind of attack down the channels. And that is what Denmark did on a couple occasions. Braithwaite slices one wide. I think Domsgaard does the same thing. But if you're going to send people wide, you've got to then be able to deal with crosses and deal with sort of heading balls away and heading crosses in. And that the goal comes from a set piece, a ball in, and it's a wide open header has to have hurt the confidence a little bit. And I think probably the game plan was to frustrate, make Denmark get overextended, find something on the break via Patrick Schick, and then frustrate some more and see what happens. And I think anytime that's your game plan is to kind of sit, frustrate, and try to find a way through, and then you concede in the opening minutes, that game plan kind of goes out the window and you've got to figure things out. And that's where we see that double change. I was surprised to see Holesh go off. He's been so important to them. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I was surprised to see Boreal returning to the lineup and then getting beaten for, the, uh, for one of the goals, basically being completely wrong-sided. It was just another game where I think maybe... It was one game too far. There were tired legs. There was fatigue setting in. I, I don't know if Denmark will now have that issue going against England, but I think they too are battling some tired legs and some fatigue. So if they're able to, to get a rest and get their players back up and ready for it, then uh, I'm, I'm all the more excited for that game. But I do, I do think it was two tired teams and Denmark were the less tired of the two. Still had a good game, still played well, still have to take your chances, and they did. But they certainly don't have the depth of talent that England do at their disposal and the rotational abilities that Gareth Southgate has, or options that Southgate has. So I think it was an impressive game for Denmark and everything that they've had to deal with. I would still be worried uh, about their chances against England. And traveling back from Baku, I imagine, uh, makes it yeah. no easier for them. Too, I would guess not. Fatigue, yeah, that's not uh, that's not optimal for them, shall we say? I would say it's suboptimal, in fact. <laughs> Indeed, to coin a phrase. Um, the the uh, Graham Casper uh, Hillman, the Denmark coach, said uh, before this game he'd rather have faced the Netherlands than the Czech Republic because he thought that the Czech Republic were the first opponents in the tournament, and I quote, whom he thought could match Denmark's intensity, and also because of De Boer. That's why I'd want to play the Netherlands. <laughs> <laughs> is that what is that what he's saying? He, wh- he whispered it quietly. Yeah, the, the second part, part of the statement. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, did you see that intensity he was referring to? I mean, I suppose we did in spades, right? Um, in periods, I guess. I, I guess I'm I'm still bitter about this Czech Republic team <laughs> <laughs> from from what happened in the first game. Yeah. I just can't shake this idea that they're not very good. And it comes from the fact that Scotland, before this tournament, had beaten Czech Republic home and away, and then we somehow managed to lose them in the first game. But, um, yeah, the, the, um, 
I don't know about that. I I I just feel that the Czech Republic in almost every way are, are were inferior to Denmark. I I I I really like the way that Denmark. They're not necessarily a high pressing team, but they all know their their pressing triggers really well. And and so if you're an opposition player in possession, it it will probably seem like Denmark are, are a high pressing team because there's always someone on you. Um, and I just felt that that. The only reason Denmark stepped off in the second half was because of tiredness. I thought towards the end this was clearly two tired teams, and you're you're both right to mention that as the thing that could cost Denmark against England is mm. is that fatigue factor. But looking at the, looking at the Czech Republic, um, I just think they're quite a limited team. You know, obviously they they have had success with set pieces and goals from fifty yards at this tournament. Um, but but other than that, I'm not entirely sure. Um, I mean, they, they they did a good job. Derrida obviously wasn't involved here, and I do think Barak coming into that team did a good job of, of filling that void and getting a little bit of support to to ship an attack. But as I say, I I, I just I, I can't shake this feeling that they overachieved at this tournament and they are quite limited. But maybe that's yeah. just me being better. No, Graham, I think I think that that is that is maybe that's that's probably fair. I think like maybe slightly harsh because I think they had like some good performances and did kind of batter Scotland in your face, Graham. But uh, <laughs> I also I also think though that looking at Denmark for a moment. That is a team that, like, I am I am worried about them from the fitness or the fatigue standpoint. But it's also a team that, like, I've worried about numerous other times in this tournament, and they found a way to win. And if anything, this feels like the type of opponent that England do. I think, Graham, this is exactly what you've been saying, and it kind of only just clicked for me, that this is the type of opponent that England historically can struggle against. Because you yes. look at where the depth in the talent for Denmark is, and it's the back three. They've got three really good center backs. They've got uh, Hoiberg and Delaney ahead of them. I will never say that man's name the same way twice. But it's a team that can be very defensive, will be able to, I think, stymie like balls into Harry Kane. I think they'll be able to deal with that. They will have numbers so that you can't quite dribble through as easily. Ukraine left, I think, way too many openings, and Raheem Sterling exploited those pretty expertly. But there are shades to this team, I think, if they want to be, of that Iceland team that were so problematic for England in 2016. And so if England are able to play through them or able to get an early goal or to maybe get one late but find a way to win and find a way to kind of break down that compact defense, I think that's another sort of notch for Gareth Southgate as he moves forward of now he, he, he beat the Germans, he made it to the knockout round, he won a penalty shootout in the World Cup, and now he's found a way to, to beat a compact well-organized defense, cliche as that might sound, that is kind of a big moment for him and a big moment for England. So I'm now even more excited about that semifinal than I already was. As am I, Tate. And, and I am I am uh, buying into the scaremongering, the Denmark scaremongering very much here, and I appreciate both your points. But also, this Denmark side, yeah, they've beaten Russia, they've beaten Wales, and they've beaten this pretty duff Czech team. So there is that. We haven't seen them pass a big test. Is that fair to say? Yeah, that that is totally fair to say, but I I, I do think there is nuance in analysing their performances within those games, and even the Bel- the one team, the one high caliber team that they have played at this tournament was obviously Belgium, and that was in their their first game after what happened in in the first game against Finland, mm. and so it still felt that they were in this embryonic stage of figuring out how to play without Christian Eriksen, and they still gave you know obviously they take the lead in that game uh, against Belgium, and they still give Belgium the number one. One ranked team in the world and one of the favourites for this tournament. They give them, a, give them a really good, really good game, and I feel like they have improved since then. I mean, I see. I don't want to go too far because they're obviously not at this standard, but I do see some similarities in the way that they, 
between uh, Denmark and, and Italy in that they, you know they can press you high they can they can counter pretty pretty quickly they can keep possession they defend with with good dis- uh, with good discipline and positional awareness and they have a, a really good goalkeeper as well so it, it, it obviously would be a, an upset if they were to beat England England have more more quality certainly more depth than them but they I think they're a they're a high quality team um, and I think they, they've also got a high we've spoken about this before I think they've got a high quality manager as, as well and mm-hmm. and Hulman Casper Hulman who has done such a good job to after what happened with uh, Christian Eriksen not just make the the shift of shape and 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 the tactical shift he's he's kind of changed the whole approach of this team we spoke in the previews about how they Denmark looked to control games in the center of the pitch with passing triangles and passing patterns this team is primarily kind of I think very much about hard running and it's 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 almost a, it's a, it's an, an entirely different approach and the fact that they've scored i think only spain have scored more goals than them at this tournament i think there's oh that might have changed after england actually i've not checked that but before kickoff in the england game they'd scored 11 goals and were the second top goal scorers in this tournament so they have real danger Graham, uh, when we recorded the Euro 2020 previews which i think was about 13 or 14 years ago now That's um, you That's talked correct. about sweden and them being without Slatan and being a better team. I'm hesitant to make this point because of the nature in which Christian Eriksen uh, left the tournament. But is there an argument that Denmark um, might be solidified and better and play that running game when they don't have to rely on Christian Eriksen to create for them? I, 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 I realise how horrible that sounds. Yeah, yeah, no, no. No, no. If we're talking purely from you know footballing perspective, um, I think the shape certainly is is a good fit for them. To the, the fact that they can have those three, as Taylor pointed out, the th- they've got three excellent high quality centre backs. I think Simon Kerr has been one of the players of the tournament um, so far. Vestergaard is high quality. Um, Andreas Christensen is a European champion. Um, and the fact that it means that they can they can use um, they can use wing backs. So um, Joachim Myla is again another one. Uh, he's another player of the tournament for me, and he's been excellent. And his delivery, by the way, for the I think it's oh. the second goal, oh. is so good for Casper Dolberg because he's obviously right he's he's right footed up playing on the left side, and so he he gets himself into position where I wonder well. How's he going to get this one into into the box? Oh wait, he's used the outside of his right boot, and it's the perfect <laughs> delivery Trivella. for Casper Dolberg. Yeah. So and and um, I know Daniel Vass has been playing on the right side, but uh, uh, was playing sorry on, on the right side earlier in the tournament. Strigger Larson's come in and done an excellent job there. So I get what you're saying. I still th- I, th- I think maybe it's the shape that's made the biggest difference rather than the personnel. I still feel like you could put Ericsson in for Damsgaard potentially in this shape. Mm. Maybe switch Braithwaite to the kind of right side and Ericsson more a little bit to the left, and you would you you would stand a good chance of improving this team even more. So I do think it's the shape that's made the biggest difference. But I understand what you're saying. The way that they absorb they have absorbed Eric, the loss of Ericsson and it, uh, almost improved, you would yeah. say, has, has been remarkable. Yeah. Definitely so. And thank you for bringing up that, Myla. Trivella Cross, that was something very, very special indeed. Um, Taylor, I think it might be prediction time. How do you mm-hmm. feel about England against Denmark? You have made your thoughts reasonably clear already, but I, I want to hear a, a scoreline perhaps, something that makes me feel good or maybe worried. Something that makes you feel good. I, I <laughs> honestly don't know. Like, like I would love to be able to give you a succinct answer right now, and I can give you about 10 minutes of me rambling back and forth trying to figure it out as I go. No, thanks. Um, I would have felt... <laughs> I, I felt a lot more confident about England at the beginning of this conversation than I did at the end, not because 
I feel like, oh, never mind. Actually, they weren't that impressive. It's just that I think with how impressive they were and maybe how Denmark, I would say, weren't as comprehensively impressive when it came to uh, seeing off the Czech Republic, it felt to me like, yeah, it's going to be England no matter what. But as we've talked about them, I do see a game plan in which they frustrate England, get overextended, England get punished or concede something silly, and then it is a wide open game from there. Like, I guess, narrative speaking, I don't think that game would be wide open with both teams trying to make sure they don't get counted upon. Um, but I think what we saw from England today is a team that kind of, I think, have more belief than they've had in the past. And so I would lean towards an England win. I don't know a specific scoreline, but I'll say we'll go 2-0. Why not, Ryan? Thanks. Graham? I am going to put my neck in the line and say Denmark will take the lead against England. England will finally concede and they'll fight back after the fatigue comes a factor Graham is right. for Denmark. Graham is right. That's, <laughs> that's how England will make the final. But they will, they will get a real test from Denmark, is my prediction. I just want I, to make sure. I know this has been said a couple of times. I just want to be clear. England have not conceded so far, right? Five games, baby. Yeah. So this would be the game that they would want to concede and they would want to do it first because then that further cements the narrative that like, oh, now they had to come, come from behind, but they found a way to win, which builds, I, I think, belief. But also, if you're going to get scored on for the first time in the tournament, I think you want it to be in the semifinal against an opponent who most people would have you as the favorite to win as opposed to Italy or Spain scoring on you and now... There is probably just more natural. I mean, I am not a professional footballer, and I have certainly never played at the Euros, but I have to believe that I would have more belief in fighting back to get a win over Denmark than Italy or Spain. So maybe you do want to concede there, and that does feel like a thing that could happen. So, Graham, I think you're right, and you're smart, and uh, way to be. Taylor, this being (laughs) the first game you want to concede in feels like the same logic as Sergio Busquets missed the first penalty in the shootout on purpose to buoy his team. Did I make that argument? No, it feels like the same argument, though. Want you to concede first. Really? No, I'm not saying... I'm saying if you're going to concede, you yeah, want I mean, it to be Obviously, you here. want to keep a clean sheet in all seven games. Yeah. Yeah. But, <laughs> I, but, I, but I like the idea of them conceding from the narrative, like, oh, they finally conceded. Now will they be able to do it? I don't know. And then they do. Versus, I think, if you're a player and you concede in the final when you haven't conceded the whole time. And if, like, Italy scored off a set piece in the third minute, does that blow the nerves right there? I don't know. So, yeah. uh, basically, all I'm trying to say is that Graham is right and Ryan is wrong. And also, <laughs> Denmark were the last team to beat England, I think, at Wembley earlier this year. So, they've Uh-oh. done it before. Oh, Uh-oh. Ryan, oh, you nervous? Goodness. Ryan, you nervous now? I was nervous before, but yes, very much so. And I, I, do, I do think that this is a game that England certainly should win in terms of talent, in terms of they should be better rested than this Denmark side. And as, as we mentioned, the, the travel from Baku won't help them. And they, you know, playing in... 60% humidity where they were clearly sweating buckets <laughs> at least halfway through that game so uh, I, I I yeah but I, I still think we'll, we will approach this one with caution but this big part of me fellas thinks that just beating Germany is such a psychological amount to get over maybe maybe not for the 20 somethings on the team but yeah. maybe for England in general it's such a big hurdle to climb over that I just feel like if we can do that we can do anything so I are you I, I, I'm, I'm buoyed by that are you at all nervous about uh, Harry uh, Harry Maguire possibly not being able to play? Because 
I just made that up. I just wanted to hear you get terrified for a moment. <laughs> I would be, but yes. <laughs> I hope the sun silence was fun for you, Gran. I hope that was fun. I was like, uh, uh, what's happened? What's happened? Is something, something just happened on Twitter I, cycled I need th- to know about? I cycled through the players that I thought would be most upsetting to you, and that was the one I landed on. Okay. Yeah, that's fair. That would be upsetting, uh, uh, Taylor, yes. But, you know, he hasn't been ever present in this tournament either, and we've done there you go. okay, I would say. So, uh, yeah, it's coming Well, he's home. missing for that game against Scotland where you were so impressive. So. <laughs> oh, goodness me, goodness me. Your cup final, I forgot about that. Yeah, yeah. All right, gents, I think that just about wraps up today's podcast. Thank you so much for that one. We're going to be, of course, covering the semifinals on Tuesday and Wednesday. Uh, but for now, Tay-Tay, thank you so much for your contribs. I've got time to say contributions in full. You're you're welcome, Ray Ray. <laughs> Gregory, thanks. Thanks, Ryan. 